0: This episode is brought to you in part by Harvest House Publishers and the new book, The Good Gift of Weakness. Discover how human weakness not only allows God's strength to shine, but it was all by His design. The Good Gift of Weakness is now available wherever books are sold.
1: You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin
0: McClendon, and I have to say, Wade, I, I appreciate how dedicated you are to the podcast, but it really wasn't necessary for you to prepare for this week's film by actually having a blackout in your own home.
1: Yeah, yeah, the electricity went out last night, and I just, I feel like I understand this movie in in a deeper way, Kevin.
0: Well, that's what you call making lemonade out of lemons, Wade. I really appreciate it. Again, you truly are the most dedicated podcaster.
1: <laughs> Listeners, today we review the film version of the Broadway musical by Lynn manuel Miranda, John M. Chew's In the Heights.
0: Plus we've got an announcement of our newest upcoming patrons only review episode and of course our weekly recommendations on this episode episode 293 of seeing and believing
1: if i won the lotto tomorrow well i know i wouldn't bother going on no spin is free i pick a business school and pay the entrance fee and maybe if you're lucky you'll stay friends with me i'll be a businessman richard and nina's daddy tiger woods and i on the links and he's my caddy my money's making money i'm going from pole to don't keep the bling. I want the brass ring like Proto. Big oh, no. oles Mr. Braggadochio. Next thing you know, you lying like Pinocchio. Bro, you of the bull? Stay out the
0: rodeo. Oh, I got more flows than Obi-Wan Canovios.
1: Yes. Listeners, we are here with episode 293. We're gonna be talking about in the heights. Kevin, I know we have some Lynn Manuel Miranda fans out there and Hopefully they are just freaking out right now. Not at the movie per se, but the fact that we're talking about the movie, or maybe both. But I'm sure we have people excited for this review. A
0: lot of people are excited about this movie and this review, and, you know, a lot of it is probably, it does sort of feel like the first movie of the post-COVID summer. You know, like, lots of people are vaccinated, they're going to, to see it in theaters. It's, for some people, it's their first movie in theaters in a long, long time. So I think a little bit of freaking out is warranted in that
1: in that case. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Freak out, freak out a little bit. We're going to hop into that review in just a moment. But we have some exciting news. We're getting ready to release next week our Patreon episode for this month. Kevin, there's a film out. I guess it's a film. It's a documentary. It's a stand-up special. And I've... I am excited to talk about this with our listeners because people have been requesting it all over the place. And uh, we're going to discuss it here on our Patreon-only episode.
0: Yeah, it it was something that wasn't really on my radar, which is why we didn't uh, have it in our, our weekly schedule at first. But Bo Burnham's uh, comedy special, if you can call it that, uh, for Netflix titled Inside... Has uh, come out and it's making a lot of waves. A lot of people are are talking about it, and it just seemed like a really great candidate for us to to dig into a little bit and also give our our patrons uh, something a little special since we we haven't given them a patrons only episode in a while. So time to t- take in some of that slack there. Yeah.
1: Well, listeners know that I am a huge Bo Burnham Eighth Grade fan. I love Eighth Grade. I I haven't really gotten into a stand-up, but, but it's exciting. We're going to talk about that here soon. If you want to listen to it, listeners, you've got to hop on over to our Patreon page. We have a number of different donation levels. Really, any level will get you into our Patreon-only episodes. One of our favorites, though, a lot of good perks, is the what can you buy for $5 level. And, Kevin, that begs the question, what could someone buy for 5 bucks? Well, you know,
0: world history, or at least Western history has shown us for for a long time that you know, corsets were a thing for for women back in days of yore. And five dollars finally let men get into the corset game. you you've got like corsets for your arms, mm. so you can really, you know get the narrowing down at the wrists that you want to and just get the big bulging biceps and just really accentuate uh-huh. the contrast there. I think that given how, well-beloved and missed corsets are for women you know it just seems like guys really want to get in on get in on that as well wow
1: i mean i'm a pretty l- only five dollars i'm a pretty lanky guy <laughs> my arms need accentuating kevin my biceps they need that so it's worth considering i mean it's five bucks if it pays off it's five bucks if it doesn't you only lost five bucks it's not bad not a bad deal
0: yeah, I, I mean, there, there's probably some uh, some stuff on the warning labels that you'll want to read if, if you are like me and Wade, and you are, like like you said, Wade, a little bit lanky, because accentuating the contrast there might make your wrists a little bit skinnier than you like them, so use responsibly, of course, <laughs> but like you said, only five bucks, so what have you got to lose other than you that?
1: You know, I'm, I'm at this point where, you know, with my arms, how skinny they are, I don't have much to lose. They can't get any smaller, so... Uh, we'll just we'll just see about that. But listeners, yeah, hop on over to our Patreon campaign. Maybe just put five bucks. Maybe your arms are already accentuated, and they're just they're there. And so you can support us on Patreon, and you can get our review of Insight. We're going to be releasing that next week, so check that out. If you're a member, you'll get an email. You'll get this alert, and so you'll be able to listen to that. It's going to be exciting. Kevin, we're going to hop into... Our review of In the Heights is directed by John M. Chu. As I mentioned earlier, it is the film version of the hit and pre-Hamilton Broadway musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Here's the film's official synopsis to get us started. I'm sure we're going to dig in deeper with all these different characters, but here we go. In Washington Heights, New York, the scent of warm coffee hangs in the air just outside of the 181st Street Subway Stop, where a kaleidoscope of dreams rallies a vibrant and tight community. At the intersection of all of this is a likable and magnetic bodega owner, played by Anthony Ramos, who hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. This is a big musical release, We've had films like La La Land come out in the last couple of years. We've had uh, The Greatest Showman. And this is another in a long line of of really wide audience musicals to hit the theaters. It's currently streaming as well on HBO Max, a lot of places to see the movie. Kevin, I, I guess it's kind of important with a film like this to ask about... Your, your previous contact with this material because it, it does kind of influence us in a number of different ways. I know about the musical. I've, I've read about the musical. I have yet before this film to hear any music from that musical at all. So I kind of went into this cold. Uh, how about you? And then how did your perception of Lin-Manuel Miranda and his work influence how you approached the story?
0: Well, I'm like you in that, uh, you know, my knowledge of this musical pretty much began and ended with the title. I know I knew that Miranda had uh, another musical previously under his belt before Hamilton became the pop culture phenomenon that it was. So, you know, I knew it existed. I didn't know anything about it, didn't know anything about the story, the music, any of that. Um, So that. I was going into it pretty much fresh. Um, mm-hmm. I I will say that having listened to Hamilton quite a few times, and you know having seen the the show live once, uh, right away you can kind of tell that this is Miranda's handiwork in the music. It's, he's got a very distinctive style, and that's on on full display here. So if you like the music from Hamilton, of course you'll probably like the music here. But what I was really looking for going into this film was I was looking for um, for cinematic qualities, I guess Uh, the Disney plus special where they presented a filmed version of the stage production of Hamilton was nice, but it wasn't, it, it didn't really replicate the experience of seeing it live in the theater. And as, as cinema, it was, it was good, but it just, you know, there's only so much you can do when you're presenting a filmed version of a stage play. So I was really eager to see what John M. Chu did with with In the Heights since he had, you know, the freedom to kind of go a little bit crazier with, you know, editing and, and shot composition and, and all of that. I liked Chu's work on crazy rich Asians. I thought, I think he's a, he's a director has a good eye for, for, for color and for, Fantasy, I guess like crazy rich Asians really did a good job of nailing the the fantasy part of rom-com just how the the lifestyles on display were were made to be very very attractive and I was looking forward to him bringing that same visual sensibility to in the Heights. So having said all that uh, I, I went into this with high expectations, and I'm wondering if maybe the high expectations were a little bit higher than this film could support. I had a good time within the Heights. I don't know that I would call it uh, one of the all time great movie musicals. I, I left feeling like that was a good time, but it's not one that I am necessarily going to want to seek out again even though I'm thankful that at least it's better than something like The Greatest Showman.
1: (laughs) Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Uh, A lot's wrapped up in all those statements. I know The Greatest Showman fans are just... (laughs) <laughs> punching, I don't know, whatever they listen to their podcast on, computer or or cell phone. They're, they're probably <laughs> angry dancing
0: right now. Yeah.
1: They're, they're probably like going to an abandoned warehouse and they're going to angry dance. <laughs> uh, they're resolving the conflicts in their lives too easily. Uh, maybe that's it if we're talking about Greatest Showman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, it's, it's fascinating that you say all that because Coming into this review and looking at all the different reviews that I've seen on Letterboxd and just people online, uh, I was I had a feeling I was going to diverge away from the majority here, uh, and it seems like we we agree in many ways. I I thought that this musical was fine, and I I really do envy the people that just fell in love with it because I love a good movie musical, and I love. You know, just the thought of a of a big movie musical being released in theaters that has the potential to be of a mass appeal like that just makes me excited. Uh, and I thought this I thought this this movie was okay, but it didn't really hit me the way that I that I thought it was going to hit me. Uh, we talked about Crazy Rich Asians, and you like that movie better than I did. I've seen it once or twice since then, and. and my esteem for that film has increased. So maybe maybe that'll happen here. I think for me, well, there are a couple of areas that I, that I found weak about the film. And I think for me, the character development just doesn't work. And a lot of that, I think, hinges on uh, just how many storylines are happening in this film and the way the movie cuts across those storylines. So part of it is, the movie's probably too spread out, but another section is is just, I, I think the writing doesn't kind of pull those strands together in a way that it should. Uh, and I don't know if the relationships in this movie and the chemistry works like it should. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you, just feeling kind of disappointed in this movie and, and really just envious, like I mentioned earlier, of all those people who seem to really, really enjoy it.
0: If I were trying to come up with a, a way to articulate how there are parts of this movie that I really, really liked, and other parts that I was fine with but wasn't really blown away by. it would maybe be uneven there There are certain scenes and um and moments and and sequences in this film that I think work really well, and a lot of that is. Uh, due to some of the characters there's a a big showstopper uh, paciencia y Fe," which is uh, sung by the the abuela character in this film it's kind of this the story of uh, how she immigrated to the united states Mm -hmm. and is you know experiencing kind of essentially scratching out a living for herself in in a strange country not knowing the language and slowly kind of building a life for herself and i think um, that's maybe one of the only songs where I, I really felt like the the music itself really carried the emotional load that it was it was being asked to. I thought it worked really well, and I I think that um, the character of Abuela is a very obviously a very important one for the film, but she's also one of the one of the characters who I think actually um, I, I was able to forge a connection to her, whereas some of the other characters were a little bit more a little bit less um less compelling to me I guess there's a number late in the film when the sun goes down uh between uh two two characters they're they're kind of members of the supporting cast they're they're in love with each other and that's probably my favorite musical number in the entire film they the choreography is and, and the the cinematography of it at least the the way that chu uh, and his production designer used the camera and the sets to kind of echo the moment where Fred Astaire dances on the walls and the ceiling in that film, uh, Royal Wedding. I think that that's just a, a fantastic scene and the, the song is good. The the choreography is great. Uh, I just wish that those two characters in the rest of the film really felt like more than kind of just a generic romance to me. And I think that... The weakness maybe here, Wade, for me, it comes down to the story. Chiara uh, Alegria Hudes um, wrote the screenplay, and, and based, she's also the one who uh, wrote the um, the book for the stage musical. And I think that there are some—apparently there are some adaptation differences that I think were, were very smart. But I don't think that Hudes really solves what might be a central weakness of the film, which is that— a lot of these characters there there's not really a whole lot of compelling material to the characters other than that they have dreams and they want their dreams which there's nothing wrong with that necessarily but the specificity there is missing and it feels at least to me it felt a little bit generic uh, and i was just i left wanting a little bit more from from some of these scenes where there's a lot of work being done in the music and the choreography to make me feel something about it. And it kind of worked, but it would have worked better, I guess, if the story had been there and the characters had been sketched out with a little bit more care.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and there are some numbers, and you, you you hit on, I think, two of the best numbers, the sequences in the film that work. And I, I'm i glad that you pointed out Nina and Benny's character because a uh, characters and their relationship. Their relationship is it's, it's a weird... It's a weird dynamic, and there's really no... There's no conflict. It's, the characters, they obviously kind of like each other, and it seems like maybe they're kind of together, not together, but they are throughout the movie, and then it just kind of... It, it's a weird... It's a very weird dynamic, and I found the same to be true about the main character played by by Ramos and Vanessa, played by Melissa Barea, in that the the conflict feels manufactured and the chemistry just doesn't seem to work and there's this really odd scene between those two and they go to this this club and and they they're dancing and it's kind of fun the choreography is good and then they get in this weird fight and and that's that's really their big conflict you know every every relationship movie they have this big fight before you know whatever and that's that and it just seems like it, the the stakes and the drama is it's underwhelming uh if that makes sense and they, those relationships didn't really compel me all that much and then towards the end it it just all seemed to to simmer out i I also want to point out too I felt like the the tone and the pacing of the movie is a little wonky at times. At the beginning of the film, we get this sort of big introductory number and the colors or I wouldn't say they're muted, but it's not a particularly colorful scene and the camera movement is a little weak most of the dynamic nature of that scene comes from just straight cuts. And so the camera's not moving too much. We're just kind of cutting, cutting, cutting. And it just just didn't really work to keep up with the energy of what that introductory number seems to do. Later on, I think we get some better scenes. There's one that that happens in a nail salon. It's very colorful. Uh, there's an element of fantasy to it. Uh, the choreography across the film I think is 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 pretty good. but it, it just it it seemed it seemed to have some really good numbers followed by some some kind of weaker numbers. And then at other points, the cutting of the movie, just these cutting between shots, I think gets in the way of the choreography, which is really kind of the standout nature of this film. And so yeah, so I just to reiterate, I didn't have a bad time. I thought the film was fine. Just was kind of disappointed because of the expectation level, and uh, just kind of walked out feeling like the movie just weaker than I weaker than I expected.
0: Yeah, again, the the editing is is a part of this film that is inconsistent because I think that there are certain musical numbers where I think the the editing. Works pretty well. Um, the 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 song uh, ninety six thousand where everybody's there's a this winning lottery ticket out there and everybody's kind of singing about what they would do if they're the one with the winning ticket and it takes place at this you know community swimming pool. So there's two uh, films it with kind of this Busby Berkeley fantasia feel where we get a lot of shots from overhead with swimmers in the pool kind of uh, making interesting designs and and shapes. Uh, with their bodies, and it's all really—it's—it's it's a lot of fun. It's very visually mm-hmm, striking, mm-hmm. and I think uh, the editing kind of does its job of of accentuating certain parts of the choreography, but still allowing us to kind of get a sense of the the general shape of the action and actually watch people move, which is one of the pleasures of dance in a musicals. Actually, watching talented people do their thing, but I think overall. Uh, Myron Kirstein's editing really just kind of it's it's not it, it it gets in the way of what we're we're really wanting to see. I think most of these these dance numbers, the dancers are are obviously talented. and from what you can see of the choreography, it looks good, but the film kind of just it gets cut into ribbons and, and you really only see maybe two or three second snippets of a dance before there's a cut to a different angle or a different character in the crowd. And that's just, I don't know, it just really sticks in my craw, I guess. I think that there's no real reason, I guess, for that unless either there's a problem in the choreography, which doesn't seem to be the case, or there's a lack of confidence that the audience can follow what's going on and has the interest to sit with a, a shot that just Sits there and shows us the the choreography, or maybe moves with it, and I, you know, it's just it's a weakness of the film, which uh, again is not a fatal weakness because there are parts of it that do work well. But like so much of of the rest of it, and I feel like I'm broken record here. There's just there's a little bit of inconsistency that makes me wish ah oh, it,
1: it could have been great. And Instead, it's just it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it, totally with you, with you there, and I, I think the cast is, is, they're all very talented, and I think I, I really like Anthony, uh, Ramos. I, I think that he is good in the leading role here, as this individual who has a dream to to go back to the Dominican Republic, and. It really adds to I think the emotional narrative here of him coming to America, which a lot of people would say, oh, is the quote unquote dream, and realizing that America hasn't treated the people around him uh, in a way that that they sh- that America should have, and so he wants to return back to uh, where he grew up. He wants to return back to the, you know these memories that he had, and. I would have really loved to see the movie, at like you mentioned, add some specificity to that, so that we can really dig into his character. And I think, I think part of it, part of a part of the movie is distracted from him. Even though this is, kind of, you know, this movie is over two hours long; it's a long movie. Uh, it, we're we're drawn into these other stories. And rather than those stories enriching what's going on, uh, they're just other stories. And you have one of um, a character who's pursuing their dream; uh, she's trying to be a fashion designer. And another character who's who's gone to college and is struggling with her identity. And I just I was just kind of looking for more. And so as a result, I, I think the film lets Ramos down in a way and doesn't let him necessarily his character shine like he should and so I walked away just kind of feeling uh, feeling like the movie lets some of these individuals down I, I, I wanted more from them I really wanted to dig into this world a little bit more and didn't didn't feel like I had an opportunity to do so
0: well I you know I don't know if I'd I'd go that far I think part of the Part of what this musical is about is less about you know any any one character or or any relationships per se. Like it's not a character study. It's more about kind of giving you the 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 vibe of of this neighborhood, giving you a feel for you know what it's like to live there, what it's like to um, be in various roles within that community, and kind of give you a sense of the fabric of an entire. Culture and society. And I, I think for the most part it does work really well on that. I think the problem is that it it does kind of nail that vibe of the neighborhood, but the constituent parts that that make up that that fabric of that culture kind of are are uneven. It's like uh you know having this this beautiful piece of fabric and parts of it are really great and other parts are kind of wrinkled or or torn and or or just a little bit weaker. Or less interesting than the rest. And I I think that some of that is just down to to the writing. For instance, the uh one character, Nina, she, you know, she's the first person in her family to to go off to college. She care she's carrying this huge weight of of expectation on her. You know, the entire community is like, we're so proud of you for going to college. You're gonna you're gonna, you know, make us proud and we're relying on you. And to her, that feels like so much pressure and her decision to drop out of school um, is kind of the central conflict of her art, but it does seem like so much emphasis is placed on the fact that she's at Stanford and being at Stanford is is part of the big deal and that Stanford is kind of the problem. It kind of feels like that it's almost a non-conflict. There are, there are many options for her besides dropping out, so... Why, why dropping out specifically? And I think that the film kind of does answer that. It's it's less about the specific school and more about just feeling like her place is in her community, not uh, in this you know college world where uh, a white majority kind of uh, presumes things about her that aren't true. That's answered in the film, but I think it's not really executed in a way that makes it feel fully like a conflict it kind of just feels like it hazily sketched out around the edges and that maybe goes for some of the other relationships here too where the the raw materials are there but kind of just feels like less than the sum of its parts and that makes the film as a whole feel a little bit shakier than maybe it would otherwise
1: Yeah, and I, I will say uh, one of my favorite aspects of this movie is just just the community, the the central community here, and in, in a time when a lot of us have been separated, uh, in a time where we often uh, go online to project our opinions rather than talking to people face-to-face, viewing these individuals who are in and out of each other's lives, who support each other, who support each other's businesses, who show up, show up for dinner, uh, who, you know, everybody knows everybody. There, there's this, very much this fun quality to that, this comforting quality to that. And so I, I one of the, my favorite aspects of the movie, it's it's just that community. And all of these characters of all uh, different ages and different, even different histories, the diversity here, uh really, really, I think highlights the importance of a community and having those individuals around you through the thick and thin, people who do frustrate you and hurt you and, uh, and yet are still ultimately present in your lives. And I think that's powerful. And I think there's a spiritual component to that. There's this spiritual sense of place, a theology of location here that I think's emphasized. And like I said, there are a number of things that I, I wish went deeper with this movie. Um, but there are, you know, ultimately I, I did I did like it more than I didn't like it, and uh, I do want to see uh, more stories like this.
0: It helps that the film really sticks its landing really well. The the final uh, mm-hmm. musical number where we 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 see the resolution of a lot of these threads, and it ends with with a lyric about about being home. And and kind of what home means to to a person and what what makes a home, uh, it really does draw a lot of the threads of of the film together in a pretty satisfying way. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know it it goes down easily. Even though there are portions of the film that are are maybe shakier than others, you do get a sense for. Uh, what it was trying to do, and I, I would say that on balance it succeeds in the end, and it's partly because I mean when this film hits, it really hits and it hits in those last moments. yeah,
1: there's this shot, uh, a sequence where uh, Ramos's character is he's telling this story from from a beach and he looks out and he sees individuals from his community sort of standing there. And and we get to see visually the power of community. And that's a really good, that's a really strong moment. And I agree with you, the, you know, the end of the movie is, is, is well done. And um, yeah, re- really like that. Listeners, we'd love to get your thoughts. A lot of people just absolutely love this movie. Tell us what you loved about it. And we will read some of those thoughts on the air. You can tweet us at C Believe Pod, C C-belief, P-O-D on Twitter. You can also email us, seeing and believing C A P C at Gmail.com. So once again on Twitter, that's C Pod or Seeing and Believing C A P C at gmail.com. Kevin, we have reached the end of our show. At this point, we share with our listeners something from the world of television and or film that we would like to recommend to them this week. What would you like to recommend to our listeners today?
0: So I'm pretty sure that I have recommended, either I have recommended this film before on the show in a past episode, or or you have, or maybe we both have. But it Mm -hmm. was just so appropriate for, for this episode that... Um I'm pulling a repeat just because it's in a lot of ways my gold standard for what a movie musical can be. We we've talked about Singing in the Rain. That's obviously one gold standard. Yeah. My other gold standard is probably the 1964 film from Jacques Demy, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yeah. And um there's just so much to say about Demy's use of of color of of production design uh the way that he he frames his shots is is just unparalleled um that i mean you it's just a gorgeous film to look at and it's also a film that i point to when i say you know like movie musicals like it's important for the music to be good but it's not the most important thing i'd argue and this is one of those films because i actually don't think that musically it's all that impressive. There's that, you know, the, the show stopping, I will wait for you, which is just a towering Mm. piece of music. It's wonderful. The rest of the music is, is fine, but not really that memorable, but those images, I just keep thinking about them and thinking about them and they carry this movie and they, they really go show, uh, what I would argue is the core part of movie musicals, which is you gotta have those, those visuals. You gotta really, use the cinematic Mm -hmm. medium to its fullest um and everything else will follow and uh that's definitely true of umbrellas of cherbourg and i'm i haven't gotten a chance to rewatch it since i last since i saw it for the first time and i don't know i'm kind of jonesing to see it again because it's it's that good
1: yeah i've only seen the film one time i would love to see it in theaters that would be uh, just amazing, because the visuals are incredible. I mean, yeah, the story's the story's good. It's fine. Um, but the visuals are just out of this world. And um, yeah, no that's a that's a good pick, Kevin.
0: No, thanks, Wade. Uh, what do you have uh, for your recommendation
1: this week? So, last week, we didn't have a show. Our fearless producer Jonathan, he was uh, taking a trip. And so we had the week off. I had an opportunity to rewatch some old movies I hadn't seen in a while. And I watched the film, and I think this film is a great summer movie. And I might have talked about it in the past, but it's the 1994 film Speed, directed by, I hope I'm pronouncing his, his name right, Jean Desbontes. And this is the film that stars, of course, Keanu Reeves, and Sandra Bullock, uh, Dennis Hopper plays a, a a bomb expert who rigs a bus, and if the bus goes under a certain uh, speed, under fifty miles an hour, uh, the bus explodes. And of course, Keanu Reeves has to save the day. Uh, Sandra Bullock. Uh, she's just a passenger, but she steps up and drives the bus. And uh, it, this movie is out of control at times. There's, there's this scene where they just, like, jump with the bus over an overpass, a section of the road that hadn't been completed. It's just kind of wild. Um, but it's just a good 90s action movie with an over-the-top villain, over-the-top action, uh, but it still feels, I don't know, Probably more realistic than a lot of action movies made today. Uh, So if you haven't checked it out, I would encourage our listeners to check out Speed. They probably have. Go watch it again. It's currently streaming on HBO Max. You you know, the funny thing about Speed is I I went back
0: and and rewatched it myself uh, a while back. And I always forget that the part with the bus is actually maybe like the middle third of the movie. and, And it's bookended by two portions that are on, you know, that are, you know, involve other vehicles. There's, you know, an elevator and then there's a, a subway train, I think. And, you know, everybody talks about the bus, the bus. This is the most you know awesome part ever. And that part portion of the film is just so memorable and great that it's so easy to forget that. Oh, yeah, he, he there's a portion where he's not on the bus and then gets on the bus and then he gets off the bus and, you know, chases the villain mm-hmm. into a subway. it's just it's easy to forget those parts because. Maybe they aren't quite as memorable, but I agree with you that the portion where he is on the bus and they're just kind of like trying to, you know, work against the constraints laid on them is just kind of in a lot of ways, the pinnacle of high concept
1: nineties action (laughs) movies. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And and when I, I hadn't seen this movie in a few years and I just momentarily forgot about the part after the bus. Uh, that end part. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, same thing. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, They get off the bus, <laughs> and they, it's the story's not over. Um, and, and, you know, Sandra Bullock's rescued, and she's fine and safe, and then the villain comes back and takes her again. You know, it's it's, it's just is what it is, right? <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, you gotta check out Speed. It's a whole lot of fun. I, I haven't seen Speed 2. I know Keanu Reeves is not in it. Sandra Bullock is. It's on a boat. Uh... I haven't seen that one. I don't know if you have, Kevin, but I don't know if I want to ruin it.
0: Well, it, I mean, it's not just Speed Two. I, I'll, I'll hasten to point out that the subtitle is Cruise Control. So <laughs> please, Wade, let's let's get the the exact taxonomy of our of our speed sequels correct. <laughs> okay, okay.
1: I think the subtitle has me convinced that I need to see it because if you if you make a movie <laughs> on a boat and you call it Speed Two Cruise Control. Like I don't know, I'm I'm intrigued. You had my well, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Well,
0: whoever whoever came up with that subtitle uh, definitely earned their paycheck today. <laughs> so well done, uh, whoever you are, person in marketing.
1: <laughs> that, that's their like thing. They're like at parties. They're like, yeah. So uh, came up with the subtitle for speed too. <laughs> <laughs> That's my deal. <laughs> it's it's always it's a great
0: party story. It get, probably gets better every time he or she tells it.
1: <laughs> yes. Listeners, thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by com. Make sure to review the show. And as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter, email us seebeliefpod, or seeing and believing C A P C at Gmail.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture
0: Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes and check out our other shows at christinpopculture.com network. Theme music by Alexander
1: Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.